The theme for the evening talk is Right Attitude. Uh, yesterday evening, uh, briefly in the opening talk, I uh, referred to uh, the Dharma, the teachings concerned with uh, liberation, and mentioned briefly that Dharma teachings attempt in a way to find its own way, which is somewhat different from uh, 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 religion, religious beliefs, somewhat different from philosophy, insofar as philosophy often concerns itself with thoughts and ideas, different from science, which has claims of uh, objective uh, external reality, and um, different in terms of uh, cosmologies of life, which tend to be human minds attempt to express things on a very large scale. And one of the functions and purposes of the Dharma is to keep it practical, to keep it clearly relevant, to keep it skillful and useful for day-to-day -day life, and therefore it brings in practice with a capital P we might say, and the outline and the encouragement endorsement for human beings to address each and every area of life to bring out the best in us. And sometimes we sense and feel and intuit the remarkable potential that we have and yet so often gets ne neglected, forgotten or drowned out so to speak in unwelcome, unwanted and unhealthy habits and patterns which obscure something we sense profound and extraordinary yet not seeming to get actualized. And it would seem that uh, the Buddha uh, acknowledged and recognized this difficult situation of being a human being uh, on this earth and therefore in giving uh, Dharma teachings it's the wish, as I said, to really enlighten the whole life so that we see well, live well, respond to it well and don't feel daunted by yesterday, today or tomorrow no matter what it might bring us. And he was in an oral tradition which went for two or three hundred uh, uh, years. I'm trying not to make this a history lesson but I'll get to the subject before the night's out. Um, in the oral tradition one of the useful and convenient ways of remembering orally which he found or stumbled across or uh, picked up from some other teachers or whatever was in formulating things into small groups and there can't ever have been a teacher on this earth who had such an ongoing love affair with formulating things into groups and it worked well because even people like myself can remember them. So, and probably the most famous two out of, out of um, many, the most famous two would be the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. That those who hear of uh, the Buddha's uh, teachings will possibly have heard Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, and um, Nirvana thrown in for good measure. And with the Four Noble Truths, <laughs> better remember them now if you said that, um, the, the first one is unsatisfactoriness or suffering, 
in its gross and subtle forms. Second are that there are conditions which generate, doesn't just come about by chance, by, by fate, by the will of God or whatever, but the conditions are there. When the conditions are there, this arises. When the conditions are there, aren't there, suffering doesn't arise for it. Third is there is the resolution, the cessation of suffering, the complete, unexcelled emancipation of the human being from the problem of existence. And fourthly, there is the way. There is a way for this realization and this understanding. And the way called the Eightfold Path. And each link of the Eightfold Path is a reminder to us that if we wish to live with wisdom in life, we can't neglect any single one of them. That everything deserves and is worthy, each one of them, of our attention. And in various ways, overtly and less so, all of the factors of the Eightfold Path, right understanding, right attitude, right right speech, right effort, right livelihood, right action, right mindfulness, right samadhi, meaning depth of meditation, is such that it ought to be of interest to us. Why? Because this is our life. And so I'd just like to give some commentary on one of them today, which is the second one, and what is called uh, right attitude. The Pali word, for those of you who are Pali Wallers, the uh, word is Samkalpa and this word has a, a range of meanings all rather close together. Attitude is one. What is our attitude? Another is uh, intention, another is the way that the thought expresses itself, the way it com communicates, the way that the mind moves in support of things. That's the all implied in this word samkalpa, um, summarizing it as attitude, our attitude. And in addressing our inner life and the various manifestations and features of it from <clears throat> day to day, <clears throat> it's that the attitude and the intention which is king, queen, it's primary. What is the intention and the, and the attitude? And sometimes it's quite vital and an imperative from the standpoint of wisdom and clarity in life to be able to rest comfortably on one's intention and one's attitude if it is skillful. The word right doesn't mean right, good and bad, right and wrong, but it's skillful, appropriate. So that when you and I in what we, what we are engaged in, genuinely know ourselves with some depth inwardly, then we will be in touch with the attitude. We'll be in touch with the intention, with the motivation, with what moves us towards in our relationship. But it will require from us not only awareness and clarity, of course, but it will require from us an honesty, as well. To live true to ourselves is to connect with the attitude. To give you a small example and illustration of uh, what I mean, um, uh, one of the most um, <clears throat> uh, <coughs> talked about um, people um, in uh, England um, would have to be uh, Princess Diane. And Probably by talking about her is extra proof of it. <laughs> and <clears throat> at the beginning of the year, uh, Princess Diane went to uh, Angola. And Angola is a small country, as you will know, in the southern part of Africa, which for many years was beset and besieged with a terrible, terrible civil war. And the various military forces fighting in that country planted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of anti-personnel mines. 
as a small uh, aside, when I was a uh, Buddhist monk in southern Thailand, I was in the province of Nakhon Si Tamarat. There were a great number of terrorists in that province. This is in the early 1970s, struggling and fighting with uh, police and uh, military. And from time to time, the teacher would send me to the uh, local hospital to witness what was going on. And it wasn't unusual when I was there to be there and to see the victims of uh, anti-personnel minds. And it's a terrifying and awful sight to have to witness what happens when somebody stands on a landmine and what it does to their, their feet and their, and their legs and uh, stood in the, in the operating theatre and seen limbs severed because of uh, anti-personnel minds. So, so when Princess Diane went there as a wish, intention, to bring to the notice of the world these anti-personnel minds and Mahagoshananda who comes here regularly, uh, a monk with whom I have good long-standing friendship as others do here. We're in the same monastery three or four years together. Uh, he's from Cambodia where there are four million of these anti-personnel minds. So she was there, Princess Lyon, to pr promote uh, public and international concern and a reporter went up to her and he said, did you know that yesterday in Parliament one of the government's uh, spokespersons um, described you as a loose cannon going off to Angola talking about political matters, these things should be left to the politicians. And she said in a documentary, and it came out quite spontaneously from her, from her I'm not here for political reasons, I'm here for humanitarian reasons. And it just kind of came out under the pressure of this uh, question. And I use it as a small example and illustration of what, of what, what, I, what I mean. That keeping in touch with one's intention, and if one knows the intention is right and appropriate uh, there, that can come and flower through. And then she turned to one of her aides as she got into a jeep, and she, and she said, it makes me feel like bursting into tears when this pressure is put on me because I'm not, being under, I'm not understood for what I'm trying to do. And all the complexity of this particular person, I'm just using this as an example. So sometimes, in attitude and intention, if we know and are clear and are in touch with ourselves at that time, it might be that others severely misunderstand us, severely, heavily judge us and lay a number on us. And in those situations, we don't have anything left, less, left, but to fall back on what's the intention, what's the attitude. And sometimes, when we're not strong and, and clear with ourselves and we get pressure from outside, sometimes cruel and unfair as it, as it might be, we identify with that and how easily the effect of that is actually we begin to doubt. We begin to feel anxious. Maybe I have got it all wrong. Maybe it is my selfishness or my conceit or my arrogance or my desires and wanting or clinging or whatever it might be. So knowing ourselves, as I say, keeping in touch with our inner in life does acknowledge and recognize in life the importance of the inner movement, how it manifests to our awareness, how it manifests to, to others, and as I say, attitude matters a great deal. In the Sama Sankalpa, the right attitude, skillful, appropriate, wise attitude. The, the, the Buddha has spoken of three types, three aspects, three uh, features uh, of this. And one of the aspects of this, and sometimes it takes a while for people through their own inner work to understand the value and the deep significance. But often, and actually I would say probably more often than not, things are spoken in the absence of. 
from liberation standpoint as well as a certain practical standpoint it's in the absence of so it's the language of the right attitude emerges and flowers in the absence of the pursuit of sensuality which I'll speak a bit more uh, in a couple of minutes uh, about because it tends to raise eyebrows and then the attitude in right attitude is the absence of the wish to create or generate harm the absence of the wish to create harm and the third aspect of right skillful attitude is the absence of the wish to attack in any way so a person is cultivating a skillful atti attitude that a feature of it is that there is the absence of this compelling pursuit for pleasure as a priority of sensuality I want, I want, I want there's the absence in the inner life of the intention, the wish or the attitude towards harming whether it's on some rationalization such as the um, the, the, the crude and vulgar aim so often of the nation-state against another nation-state or whether it's uh, the eye for an eye mentality that uh, goes on with the judiciary these days or whether it's the wish to create harm uh, towards um, others by speaking um, um, so badly and ill to create an impression of of, of somebody without any sensitivity or acknowledgement of the human being that wish to harm others in the ways that we can do that through word, thought, activities and so forth and the other is, that third one I mentioned is attacking and how easily we can be caught up in any one of those three or as I said from the attitude of others can be caught up in any one of those three which is then redirected back to ourselves and just now in this present time particularly with the third one for a moment this uh, um, being under attack um, some of the as you uh, some of you will have, uh, have uh, heard some um, um, may not but uh, in um, the past a uh, few weeks, some people who have contributed uh, significantly to our uh, uh, culture, to our upliftment in, in uh, various ways, have undergone significant transitions uh, in, in their life. Uh, one who I have uh, immediately to mind, of course, is uh, um, uh, Allen Ginsberg, the Buddhist uh, poet who spent so much of his life in uh, New York and it's not so long ago it's just what a generation generation and a half ago that he was one of those as a founding father of the beatnik movement the, the hippie movement was under severe attack and was despised and condemned by the uh, the mainstream was mischievous in um, uh, taking leading away the uh, hearts and minds of uh, young people who was encouraging uh, 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 revolution and all of that which went, went on and was uh, harassed uh, tremendously now of course he's now been accepted back into the mainstream <laughs> and how wonderful America is for producing such a human being but that certainly wasn't his situation and I remember if I may say with uh, 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 Ginsberg, who's that poet, first line of that poem of his, which of Howl, one of the most famous first lines of the 20th century, I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. That's the only line I ever remember of his. And, and when he first read that poem, incidentally, I, I want to go on a bit because it's a good story. When he first read that poem, Jack Kerouac was sitting in the front row throughout the time of reading this poem and Kerouac was going, oh God, 
disgust like this and putting out all these gesticulations of how what a tedious, lousy poem it, it, it was. And uh, sometimes people do it with our talks. And, <laughs> and G Ginsburg, to his credit, while being uh, d dismissed by uh, uh, Kerak, just kept going. And one person in the Guardian newspaper, who was a friend of uh, Allen uh, Ginsburg, uh, said that in the weeks before Ginsburg, Ginsburg died, it, it, the writer wrote, he was a credit to Buddhism. I thought that was strictly. He was a credit to Buddhism. And so sometimes there's the passing of uh, time and, and passage, and some of those who, I say, have been under tremendous uh, verbal at, uh, attack, weather it, stand it, stay steady with it, and as people know in the Dharma community, Ginsburg was extremely warm and kind and generous to Dharma people, to other poets, and we've all been blessed to be part of that flow. And the other person who I also have in uh, mind is uh, another founding father of the movement of Eastern spirituality to the West, and that is Ramdas. And a month ago, uh, Ramdas had a very severe stroke and was hospitalized, was, has been in intensive care for a number of weeks, has come out of intensive care. About a week or so ago, was uh, still in hospital, paralyzed down one side, uh, lost his speech. And friends and people who love and are close to him, doing everything that they can for his welfare and uh, support. And he, with his very eclectic vision and uh, fine sense of humor, has brought numerous people into an awareness and interest in serious Dharma practice. And he told some of us, Joseph and I, I remember here some years ago, he says, he says, I'm the warm-up act for you guys. He says, I go out there in the halls and the colleges and tell people practice and I send them off to IMS and Spirit Rock. He says, I'm the front guy and to get them on the cushion. And, uh, and, and all credit to him, he's done uh, uh, a tremendous job and service in uh, making that possible. And of course, in India, in Burma, in IMS and elsewhere, has uh, sat numerous, numerous retreats, both solitary and with various uh, teachers there and is uh, uh, a tremendous support uh, once again and I'm, I know from all of us our heartfelt wishes, uh, best wishes and support for a very quick and speedy r recovery. And with Ramdas, I'm sure with his um, uh, Jewish humor, humor would acknowledge and appreciate the, the irony that uh, friends on the West Coast told me that he just finished uh, a book on conscious aging and Ramdas would smile at uh, that. So we hope through the support that uh, he uh, will make a, a fast recovery and as he said to me years ago when he was being under such severe attack the American Psychology Association threw him out of the association, Harvard threw him out of Harvard, we don't want the likes of him around and staying steady, doing his practice, time goes by, they beg him to come and speak to the American Psychology Association. They beg him to come to Harvard and speak to the students. So again, staying steady in the face of, why? Skillful attitude, wise attitude, learning to stay steady in spite of, not treating like with like, though one may be under attack, not sinking to that level. That's what right attitude, skillful attitude is all about. That's only possible for a person who has some depth. Every day, ordinary mind under attack does one of three things. It attacks back. It gets very, very defensive. Or it flees. Ordinary, everyday mind only knows those things, attacking, defending, and withdrawing. But when there's some depth and some understanding, either cultivated or natural in life, 
then one doesn't find oneself in that one learns to deal well and clearly and decisively with, with situations why there's the right attitude is there. Skillful attitude is there. One has worked on oneself. So when we give consideration, therefore, to the inner and the outer, to right attitude, also, as I say, looking from the outside to, the, to our relationship, of the attitude of others and also from inwardly as well and how that manifests out, outwardly. <clears throat> it might well be that in the silence as some of you were pointing out to us in the small group today that through the silence much can start to emerge. And there's no kind of preparation in a way for silence and meditation. In coming here, for those of you here for the first time, you may have had some thoughts about what it would be like to sit on a retreat, to walk in silence, to be in silence. And sometimes when the life is so full and there's so much language and communication, and all the world of words is uh, thick and fast in our existence, that it can seem extraordinarily and understandably, incredibly attractive, oh, lovely, to actually be able to spend eight days and not have to talk to other human beings. What could be better? And the amount of time that one gives to talking, if one considers from the standpoint of the small groups, is... What do you get in a small group? Five to ten minutes if you're lucky. Every other day. Ah, oh, heaven on earth. So the imagination and the thought, it can seem very attractive. Then one arrives and in the silence of being here, one hasn't realized that the silence is a kind of large open space and in that large open space, anything from within can come into it. it there's a, it's got a chance to come in. It, it, the heart and mind, attitudes, thoughts and feelings, as it were, can breathe into this space. And then suddenly the silence, as it were, recedes into nowhere. And what one is confronted and faced with on the very first day unthought, unplanned, unprepared for, is one's stuff. <laughs> and one had forgotten, prior to arriving here, that one thought one was going to touch the silence, and the silence touched something else, which is decidedly unpleasant, unwelcome, unwanted, and unacceptable. And so, in the movement that goes on, when it's difficult, the present can be such that it can't, as it were, contain it. So it has an exhaust valve for it. When the mind can't contain the issue, the problem, the upsurge of stuff. And the exhaust valve is the future. The future in, for human existence is like one big emptiness upon and into which, so to speak, one can put everything into it. So once one's, the silence has touched, the stuff has upsurged, is agitating heart, mind and, and body, one can't contain it, so the thought into the future comes, oh my God, and it's going to get worse. <laughs> oh my God, I've only just arrived. This is just the first day. <laughs> and I've committed myself to next Sunday morning. It's a totally different feeling of what I thought eternity was supposed to be about. <laughs> So the present can't contain 
it overflows, it overflows to the future, but also and equally overflows to the past because it generates all manner of negative judgments about the past. Everything which is wrong with one's life from yesterday and yesteryear and one's colouring everything. So it's not only the mind that gets coloured, the retreat gets coloured. Everybody else is a zombie on this retreat. <laughs> Everybody else is just caught up in their issues. Everybody else is just here in a daydream. Everybody else is eating too much food. Everybody else is coming late into the meditation hall. So movement goes on. It's not just the condition, but it fans like you know what everywhere, past, present and future. What is the attitude? What's going on that's allowing that to take place? What has our mind done? And we can live that way, blaming, attacking, fault-finding, caught up in all of that. And we're saying, perhaps the healthy attitude comes <coughs> simply <coughs> by finding skillful ways and means, not to try to create another attitude, but attending to, as much as we can, this attitude, which we, it, it, is such that it burns us up inside, is a complete distortion of existence in which somehow or other we find ourselves in the thick of it, believing in it. When are we going to bring enough wisdom and clarity that any attacking of, any putting down of, any madness of pursuit, there is some ultimate satisfaction in the pursuit of things or whatever. When, when are we going to get enough depth of clarity that we don't buy it? We, we acknowledge it's a, it's a, a creation, it's a, the mind manufacturing. In the bizarre and strange ways that it would do it. So if we find ourselves, as some of you have spoken already, <coughs> in that kind of wave, <coughs> not easy, as I said, not easy at all to, to deal with, we might want to bring our mind back to the breath, bring our, bring our uh, focus and attention back to the step-by-step -step activity, but we sense we're really caught up in the drama of the storyline. We want to look, what's the attitude that's going on with it? Because that's the thread which run, is running through it. What's the intention that's running through it? So to, to be clear and honest, strictly honest about it. Those of you who, as Shada was speaking last night, keeping a few lines of journal writing, it's terribly easy to exaggerate. Terri terribly easy not to want to write down honestly and truthfully and precisely what the experience is. Whether it's through written or through inner attention, to be as clear as we can about what the movement of the mind is. Honesty is liberating. <coughs> In the movement, in the case of attitude and uh, intention, there are times in all of this when we change it for convenience. One is having an upsurge inside of oneself and one has actually generated in it a dialogue with somebody else. I mean, human beings are just, they have to be the most far out species imaginable. And one is sitting on the cushion and the mind is having a strong dialogue with another. 
And one of the bizarre features of human existence is we constantly seem to be anticipating and telling ourselves we know what the other person is going to say when we say what we say to them. There's never been any track record of success in this department, yet we want to be the exception. So the mind is creating a story, it's got another person involved in the story, and so it goes along the line, when I say this, he'll say that, when I say this, she'll say that, and then I'll say this and she'll say that, and then I won. And that'll silence them and shut them up for good. And this attitude which, which goes on, what's the attitude and intention? To defeat another person. To have one over somebody else. To prove that one knows best. And there's a conceit in that. There's an arrogance in it. There's a conviction of the ego. I know, I know, I know. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And my internal dialogue is going to prove it to myself. <laughs> because nobody is going to say, Oh God, you're so right. <laughs> I never realized that how your arrogant and conceited mind was so clear. So this movement that goes on and the dualism that the inner life generates, we keep, as I say, keep manufacturing it. Self-other, self-other. And we don't give ourselves a moment to pause, to look and to say to ourselves honestly, what the hell am I doing? What on earth do I want to be making and creating a drama out of a drama out of a drama out of a drama and getting further and further and further away from the fact he or she doesn't agree with me, I don't, I don't agree with her, that's the fact, why carry it around in some melodrama in the psyche? One just begs to differ, period, finish, move on with life. Yeah. It's wanting to have be on top. Wanting to prove something. It becomes a compelling thing with, our, with ourselves. And we say, let's stop and address and look, look carefully. Do we need to do this? Has the, is the world a better place for people who are playing one-upmanship over others? All of this implied, and much more beside it, viewed a right attitude, skillful attitude, wise, clear attitude, to know, to look at the movement in, from within. And if we can just address that, attend to that, and just be clear if there is something unskillful going on, to be clear and honest about that and say, yes, that is the fact. Sometimes we feel dissatisfied with ourselves and some remorse and some unrest in our honesty with our being. But perhaps there's something respectful as well about being honest with that. And then perhaps out of that acknowledgement we can move more easily to breathing, to walking, to being here from one moment to the next. In the field of sensuality, in the Dharma teachings, many Things do create difficulty for understanding. Probably the most famous one is, what is this teaching of no self, not self? And we'll talk about that over the days. The, the one that uh, sometimes gets generated out about Buddhists saying, uh, the Buddha said life is suffering. He never made such a depressing statement in his whole existence. This was unhappy monks who put this one out. And... And other things, often misunderstanding, which uh, tends uh, to, to uh, uh, take place. And in looking at all of this, another one too is sometimes, and I think it's understandable, a kind of 
is the Dharma teachings in some way life-denying? In other words, when we bring up the area of pleasure, with a question mark, when we bring up the area of the pursuit of uh, 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 endless forms of sensual satisfactions or whatever, sometimes there's a, a little bit of a recoil. Oh, oh no. Uh, there, it's going to be one of those uh, uh, we are all sinners, life is terrible and uh, let's get out of it as quickly as we can. None of that's implied. That's not Dharma uh, teaching nor uh, un understanding. What is, in, what is inferred and implied is how in the movement of the inner life moves the course of one of its clear manifestations for us is through the senses through eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. Senses become a kind of doorway to access to what is around us. It's a vehicle. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. And the inner life, the quality of it, the state of it, feeds out, feeds its way, so to speak, through the five senses and into the world and it tells us a lot about who we are in this world by what's going through the mind and through the senses and out into the world and what's also coming back to us as well of course. For some that movement called the force of wanting is such that life becomes the endless pursuit from one day to the next of maximizing pleasure and Minimizing of pain. Maximizing of sensual, that means through the senses, maximizing of that and having as little pain and unhappiness as one can get away with. And one can look around to oneself and others and person may say, well, can say, as one medical student was trying to convince me a, a week ago, that whatever, what anybody does, it's because they think it's a way of getting something for it for themselves. What anybody does, he said, it's in order because they just basically, primarily, essentially want something for themselves from it. And therefore, the self is in the midst, the centre is the centre of existence, and the whole world must fit and move its way around the primary interest of the self. So sometimes there's the movement of the inner life attitude through the sense doors to objects and with a number there is the wish to have, own, possess, get. It may be in the material world, of course. It may be in passing pleasures. It may be in uh, privilege. It may be in roles, etc. What makes the attitude unwise and unskillful? What makes it unwise? Why is it that the so many of the successful pleasure seekers seem to have so many problems. Why is it that some of the major figures who seem to have everything seem to be, have so much anxiety? Princess Di. Bulimia, rock and roll stars, drug problems, film stars, alcohol problems. The heroes that we create who seem to have a phenomenal degree of pleasure which the most of us have never even smelt in our life seem to, seems to accompany so much suffering in the personal life. Why? All the efforts to have anything from this world 
seems to regenerate and produce everything that the person wouldn't possibly want for himself or his family or her family or her situation. Why? What's going on in the psyche? And then often such people living behind in opulent prisons, Alsatian dogs, electric fences, terrified of going out on the streets, going out with five, ten, fifteen bodyguards. Why? Pleasure, 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 sensuality, sensuality, unhappiness, unhappiness, going together like wood and trees. Why? And if it can happen at that gross level, for us who live a more, hopefully, modest way of living, doesn't necessarily protect us from modest ways of suffering. <laughs> Something needs to be looked at from within to find the wisdom in life, to know what is going on when one is reaching out towards that it can produce the result which was not in the intention, in the attitude, in the thought about, that the very thing that one didn't want, one ends, ends up with, sooner or later. How is that? Utterly unanticipated. So the looking into ourself, into the movement, into the choice, into the intention, into the attitude, may save us from a great deal of unhappiness. And sometimes it seems, in this movement and the attitude and intention, incredibly unfair when one little bit of sensual pleasure can produce years and years of fear, anxiety, sickness, dying horribly, difficultly, for one moment of something. You know the kind of examples I'm referring to. And we say, life isn't fair. Ajahn Sumedho, the abbot of Amravati, he said, you English people, he said, you're always going on about fairness, fair play. One has to be fair. Look, he said, life isn't fair doesn't work fairly. It just works. And if we don't know and understand this movement towards, through the senses, we haven't watched that vigilantly and attended to that and carefully and, and wisely, we end up with exactly, exactly, precisely what we don't want, which is to be unhappy. So it might be feeling sometimes in your sitting and walking and standing and reclining that you're sweating blood, sweat and tears here to understand the attitude and the movement towards. But it might be everybody's saving grace. It would be worth it. Therefore, in the movement, finally, that comes, the inner to outer, taking and, and flowing and watching with regard to the pursuit of sensualities, pleasures, getting, 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 money, 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 or whatever it might be, in the movement which is attacking, 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 in the movement which is harming, harming, wanting to harm, wanting to harm, or whatever, that if we attend to those here, perhaps 
the skillful attitude and wise one will come through by itself. It comes through, as the Buddha said so frequent, frequently, in the absence of, in the absence of, of everything is in its place. Everything will flow. In the absence of. And therefore, we have the potential for a, a, a liberated and free being. For a, an understanding, a simple understanding of the movement of the inner to the outer. And if we understand this movement, we'll also understand the movement from the outer to the inner simultaneously. And if we understand it, the problem's gone out of it. Therefore, all the unhappiness has gone. G-O-N-E. Gone, gone, gone. And this is our birthright. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into the movement of the mind. May all beings live a free and spontaneous life. So let's have a couple of uh, silent minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.